And here we go, everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports. Coming to you on a Tuesday night, July 11th, 2017. This is the Hamptons, the Amagansett edition of Jamal About Sports. As we hit the all-star break, we've got a big show to get to tonight. We've got some Major League Baseball to discuss. We've also got the Knicks to discuss as well. But we start with maybe one of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life from a sports perspective, and that is the absurd, ridiculous overreaction to Aaron Judge winning the home run contest. Back page of the Daily News today, is Aaron Judge the new face of baseball? Every talk show today, is Aaron Judge the new face of baseball? We got StatCast giving us... He hit 3.2 miles worth of home runs yesterday. I mean, since when was did the 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 home run contest become anything worth caring about at all? Now listen, Aaron Judge is a great player so far in one half of a season. Yes, he has 30 home runs, he's hitting over 300, he's leading and slugging on base. The numbers are off the charts. No question. By all accounts, he's going to be a wonderful player. But this is one half of a season of baseball. Have we not seen players prior to Aaron Judge, rookies in particular, have great first halves, have great first seasons, to then struggle mightily in their second season or the second half of a season? And now because of some stupid exhibition where guys are throwing 70-mile-an-hour meatballs, And yes, he hit a bunch of prodigious home runs last night. Who cares? Last time I checked, hitting a bunch of 475-foot home runs in the home run derby isn't going to help the Yankees catch the Red Sox for first place or help the Yankees make the wild card or win any games that matter, that mean anything. And boy, how quickly we forget. One word, sorry, two words, one name. Kyle Schwarber. Remember him? The phenom from the Cubs last year who came back in the World Series after he was injured all year and hit 425 and he was going to be the next great thing? Yeah, except for the fact that he hit 170 this year so far, got sent down by the Cubs, and now there's discussions as to whether or not they may look to trade him to the Tigers for uh, Michael Fulmer, who, listen, is a very good young pitcher, in his own right, and that wouldn't be a crazy trade. But, I mean, come on, people. Get a grip. And I know I'm just the old guy, get off my lawn. But seriously, I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of sane Yankee fans out there that could give a wit about Aaron Judge winning the home run contest. And isn't it interesting how much attention the home run contest contest uh, has gotten leading up to and then obviously just now post in a season where the home run is the story. Coincidence? Where there are now lots of people out there, players included, who say the ball has definitely changed this year. We've talked about the the, 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 the preponderance of home runs this year. The massive increase. Now listen, is it good for the sport? Sure. If it's going to attract younger fans, 
to pay more attention and get more into the sport, sure, it's it's good. And listen, Aaron Judge seems like a nice young kid, seems to have a good head on his shoulders. I have no ill will towards Aaron Judge. My my issue is with the ridiculous overreaction to something as inane as the home run derby. I mean, what? We've never seen guys hit monster shots in a home run derby before? I remember when Ken Griffey Jr. was in it a million years ago, hitting bombs over the warehouse in Camden Yards. And by the way, he was the face of baseball back then because he'd actually done something in the sport. I remember Yoannis Cespedes a few years ago when he was on the A's hitting moonshots at City Field where it was impossible to hit home runs. I mean, we see this every year. This is not new. So again, next time one of these idiotic, completely meaningless home runs helps the Yankees gain ground on the Red Sox, let me know. Other than that, yawn. Nintrist. Absolutely ridiculous. And you know who would probably feel the same way? A gentleman by the name of Old Hoss Radburn. Who's that, you may ask? Well, he is a pitcher, uh, or was a pitcher, from, I'm assuming this is the dead ball era of baseball, but uh, pitched from 1881 to 1891. Now, I understand the sport was completely different, but just listen to some of these statistics, particularly now in an era where, you know, pitchers are coddled and babied and pampered, you know, beyond belief. And 100 pitches, we got to go run out and get the guy out of the game and nobody gets a complete game anymore. Check out some of these numbers. His first year, <clears throat> I believe for Providence, he was 25 and 11. He uh, had 36 complete games. He threw 325 innings. Now he's just getting that was just that was just a primer. Second season, thirty-three and nineteen. He made fifty-four, sorry, fifty-one starts with fifty complete games, <laughs> six shutouts, four hundred and sixty-six innings. Eighteen eighty-three, forty-eight and twenty-five. Yes, you heard that. You heard that correctly. Forty-eight and twenty-five. I don't care what era you're pitching in. I don't care if you're pitching against me. 48 and 25 is pretty good. With 66 complete games and 632 innings pitched. But the real coup de grace was 1884. 59 and 12. A 138 ERA. 73 complete games. 678 innings pitched. I mean, the numbers are just crazy. You know, they're just stupid after that. His his second last year, he fell off. He went twenty seven and twelve. He only threw three hundred forty three innings. Uh, by the way, he also has a Twitter account. I don't, I don't know. Obviously, somebody else <laughs> manages it, but take a look at it sometime. There's some uh, there's some good nuggets in there. So you know, when you're thinking about today's modern Major League Baseball, think to yourself: What would old Hoss Radburn do? All right, moving on. So, all-star break. We'll talk some Mets first. Listen, said going into the break, for the Mets to have any chance to consider themselves to have be any kind of a contender here in the second half, they needed to go 5-1 and one in the six games against the Nationals and the Cardinals. 
Well, one of the games got rained out against the Nationals. They didn't make it up yet. Uh, they went one and four in the five games and looked listless, lifeless, lethargic in the process. I mean, they didn't hit. They didn't pitch particularly well. They don't. They never field. We know that. It's 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 interesting. Last week, the Daily News finally cracked the code. Oh, the Mets are one of the worst fielding teams in the league based on percentages of balls in play that they don't. I mean, really? Do I need statistics to tell me? Just watch the team play. Been saying this all season. Said it. In, said it in spring training. I was very concerned about the defense. You can't have Curtis Granderson in center, Cabrera at short, Neil Walker at second, Duda at first. Darno behind the plate, Jay Bruce in right field, all those guys sub-defenders. Now, yes, Cabrera was good last year at balls hit Adam. Walker's good at balls hit Adam. Cabrera's been horrible this year at everything, but he never had any range. Walker never had any range. He's been hurt, of course. Cabrera's been hurt. I mean, we know the whole thing. I don't want to rehash it, but, I mean, really, Daily News? You guys cracked the code, huh? And, you know, again, what's sad is that Sandy Alderson probably knew this and didn't do anything to address it. Brought back the same exact team last year as last year. Made zero adjustments, zero improvements, and this is the result. You have a team supposedly built around pitching, but yet no good defenders to back up the pitching. Makes no sense. And yes, I understand they've had a ton of injuries, but again, they're their own worst enemy half the time when it comes to injuries because they don't uh, handle injuries properly. We've gone down that road a million times. I won't bore you with that. But it's time now for the Mets to be sellers. Let's just call it what it is. You need to be adults now, all right? You made the playoffs kind of two years in a row. I don't really count being the second wild card and losing that one game, that one play, uh, one game playing as making the playoffs. But all right, at least he gave us one extra game of baseball last year, and he made the World Series the year before. It's time. It's over, Johnny. It's time. So you've got guys like Lucas Duda, free agent. Goodbye. Jay Bruce has been great this year, by the way, and I was a hundred percent wrong on that. I did not think he would have a good year for the Mets. He's been really good. 23 home runs, 56 RBIs, I believe. And by the way, super likable. Jay Bruce is a stand-up guy, answers the media every night, gives cliches, but then will even admit, listen, guys, I know it's a cliche, but, you know, one game at a time. But also has some interesting and insightful things to say as well. He's been a pleasure. He really has. As a Mets fan, he is certainly the least of their problems. But again, they're poorly constructed and he plays the same position Michael Conforto should play. Michael Conforto is not a center fielder. He's not. You're going to put him in center field, you're going to have the same problems you had next year, this year, which is you're playing guys out of position at a primo defensive position. This is not first base, okay? Center field, you need a good center fielder. You, don't, you can't have a guy who's really a left fielder, maybe a right fielder in Conforto. Conforto's best position is probably left field, but you got Cespedes. So then you can maybe play him in right, but now you have Jay Bruce. So, I mean, seriously, Sandy Olson, what are you thinking? You're just going to, you know, hope, cross your fingers, and, and see how it goes? Now, listen, he's not going to be an unmitigated disaster in center, but you can't have a sub-defender in center field. You can't. You can get away with it a little bit in left field. 
Right field, eh, somewhat, although typically right field, particularly at City Field, which is a big outfield, you want a guy who can cover ground, and as you always want your right fielder to have a good arm. And not that Conforto, you know, Conforto can play right field. I think he'll be a decent right fielder. But he's not a center fielder. So it makes sense to move Bruce if you can get something decent for him. Because you're probably not bringing him back next year. He's going to command a you know a long-term four to five-year minimum deal, probably in the 17 to $20 million a year range, because he's going to have a good year this year. And he's had a decent track record as a player. This is not obviously a flash-in-the-pan year for Jay Bruce. So Bruce should go. Duda should go. You get rid of duty, you call up your second best prospect, Dom Smith, let him play the last two months of this season, see what he's got. He's having a very nice year at AAA, 330, 12 home runs, 60 RBIs. You bring Rosario up here to play shortstop, let Reyes continue to be his mentor, which apparently he is. Keep Reyes around for the rest of the year. Let him be a utility guy, let him play some second base, some third base, it's fine. They're not paying him much. He's not going to get anything on the trade market. You may as well just keep Reyes around. No issues with that. If anybody wants to take Neil Walker, please, by all means, do. He's still hurt, but he supposedly he's getting closer to returning. Same thing with Azdrubal Cabrera. You know, get Hansel Robles back up here, see if, if he can get back on track as a reliable arm out of the bullpen, and enough with this Fernando Salas, who Terry Collins completely destroyed. I mean, this is this is what drives me nuts with the Mets. Okay, all their decisions are fear-based, right? Last week, Sandy Alderson said, well, you know, here, here's the thing. I don't want to call Rosario up, and, and then he's going to have to be viewed as a savior. Who said that? Nobody thought that until you said that idiotic statement. Nobody thought Rosario was going to be the savior, And certainly the way Terry Collins operates, he probably bat him 7th or 8th anyway to start. So, you know, there's no savior. Nobody's saying he's Daryl Strawberry. So ridiculous. Oh, I want to put too much pressure on him. I mean, come on. You know, can't hit and run because we might strike out and, you know, might strike him out, throw him out, double play. Fear-based. Everything's always the worst-case scenario with the Mets, except for injuries. Then they are ridiculously overly optimistic, and it ends up biting them in the butt. The one time they should actually exercise caution, they don't when it comes to injuries. So it's time. It's time for the Mets to be sellers, because I'll tell you right now, I have no interest in watching this team is currently constructed right now. None. Zero. I think most Mets fans would agree. So... You know, it, 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 it's past the point of even being angry anymore. Now it's just flat-out apathy. Why bother? Why would I waste three hours of my night on watching this team as it is currently constructed? And Noah Syndergaard, we'll see you next year in spring training, buddy. Don't, don't rush back. It's fine. Matt Harvey, same thing. Let Montero to continue to pitch, see if he might be anything. If Kesselman comes back off the DL from his hamstring pull, let him pitch. DeGrom, Mats, Lugo, there's your five, and just go with it. And stop worrying about the other guys, because nothing's happening. You're not making any miraculous run this year. They're 12.5 out of first place, 10.5 out of the second wild card. So, 
it's time. It's time to do the adult thing and plan for the future. Now it'll be interesting because this is the last year of Terry Collins' deal and Sandy Alderson's deal. And it'll be interesting to see if Sandy wants to come back. Do Will Ponds want him back? You know, he's 70 years old. He may not, He may say he's done. And same with Terry. I mean, Terry's kind of a young, I think he's like 71 years old. He's pretty young. He's, you know, feisty. But um, it may be time for a new GM. I mean, I think it is time for a new GM, frankly. I mean, you know, Sandy Alderson has done okay. He's shown very little creativity or imagination in his tenure here. And you guys all know what I think about Terry Collins as a field manager. Great in the clubhouse. Give him credit for it. Great with the media, no doubt. Terrible field manager. Now, do they stay in-house and promote John Ricco? Maybe. Or do they look elsewhere? Or they also have J.P. Ricciardi, I believe, is still part of the organization. Former GM in Toronto. One of Sandy's guys that he brought in. So they have two in. Those would probably be your top two in-house options. And then externally, you know, it's too early for me to get into who could be potential replacements. I'd have to look, go look at other organizations that that do a good job. I mean, certainly, look, the Cardinals are having a down year this year. They're allowed. I mean, you know, they've been relevant for 15 years now. You know, that might be a place I might want to go look to to get a new GM, a young, hungry guy from that organization. Just off the top of my head, I don't know any names. Hell, somebody from the Yankees. Tampa Bay. Team that, you know, I think as we sit here, it's four games over 500 and still in the mix. And you wonder how. So, I mean, it's, it's time. It's, it, it, it's, 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 it's just time. That's it. Time to sell. Now we move on to the Yanks, who... Hate to say I told you so, but I believe about a month ago I said it's a long season, everybody. Let's just pump the brakes on how great the Yankees are. And uh, listen, they have not played well. They are now a mere four games over 500. They went on like a 6-16 and stretch. They are over 22 games. Uh, the one sort of constant and their bellwether, other than the home runs, was their bullpen. They had a bunch, you know, Particularly, Dylan Batantis had a bunch of horrific outings. He's bounced back in his last two. Even Chapman had, had uh, faltered somewhat. Now, all that being said, they're only two back in loss column of the Red Sox, three and a half overall. So the division is right there for the taking. But the Yankees have a lot of issues. You know, they, they, they're starting to, to pile up some injuries. Starling Castro's out. Aaron Hicks is out. Matt Holliday's been out. You know, uh, Michael Pineda has gone back into tease mode where one, good one start, wretched the next, after it looked like he'd maybe finally turned the corner. Severino's been pretty good for them still all year. He's had a couple of clunkers, but for the most part, he's had a good first half. But Tanaka's had a miserable first half. CeCe Sabathia's hurt. He was actually pitching pretty well, more than you would have expected out of him at this stage in his career. But Tyler Clippard in the bullpen has been a horror show. He's been terrible. Um, 
So the Yankees have some issues. You know, at first base, listen, their outfield should be fine. I mean, well, listen, Jacoby Ellsbury is only playing because of his contract. He's just, that was just a terrible deal at the time. I think pretty much everybody knew it. But he certainly is not worthy of the deal he gets. Is he the worst player in baseball? No, but I mean, he's not even close to the MVP candidate that he was when he was with the Red Sox. You know, Gardner's had a good year. Hicks, obviously. I mean, uh, Aaron Judge, we know about, of course. Sanchez has played well. Castro's played well when he's played. Gregorius has had a very nice year. Chase Headley, not so much. I mean, the Yankees' two biggest holes from a position player standpoint are third base and first base. And there are guys out there for them to get. It's just a question of how much do they want to mortgage as far as their future is concerned if they think they can make a real run this year. And I think they can because the Red Sox, while they've gone on a nice little streak here, they they are far from invincible. They have their own issues, namely starting pitching outside of Chris Sale. So if you're the Yankees, do you trade for Mike Moustakis, the third baseman from the Royals? Be a great fit there. It's a great clubhouse, guys. You know, switch hitter, lefty, ton probably hit a bunch of bombs in Yankee Stadium. Said it before, I'll say it again. Lucas Duda would be a great fit for the Yankees. Hit him, se- hit him seventh. Let him just sort of quietly blend in. I bet you'd be a really good addition for them. But again, it's all, what do the Yankees want to give up? You know. But we look at the standings here in the AL East. Red Sox at 50 and 39. Yankees at 45 and 41. Tampa Bay, sorry, they're not four over. They're two over, 47 and 43. But they're still in the mix for the wild card and the division. And then Baltimore, who's really fallen off after a strong April. They're four games under at 42 and 46. They're done. They just do not have the pitching. And the Blue Jays, every single time I think the Blue Jays are going to finally turn the corner, they stumble. And they're 41 and 47. Now, again, we know they got off to that wretched start. And they've played much better baseball over an extended period of time. But, you know, get to 500 first before I, I, I think – you know, I, I, I can't take you seriously until you get to 500. little side note, by the way, though. Uh, my doctor's son happens to be a member of the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen and uh, is having a pretty nice uh, year from. Uh, last name is Barnes, by the way. So just a little interesting side note. All right, moving along, we'll go over to the Central. you got the Indians at 47 and 40. We predicted that a while ago. We thought they'd overtake the Twins. But listen, give the Twins credit. They're 45 and 43, so they're still in the mix. Now, again, you know, with a minus 60 run differential compared to the Indians plus 74, and I know that statistic can be misleading at times, but sometimes it's a pretty good indicator. Um, you know, because you have blowouts on both sides, and it's not always the, the most accurate indicator whether a team is good or bad. But, you know, listen, I, I just I don't think the Twins have the horses, particularly from a pitching standpoint, to hang in there all season. But give them credit. Coming off the horrendous year they had last year, at least they've given their fans a fun first half. Uh, the Royals, by the way, have rebounded quite nicely from a poor start to get themselves to 44 and 43. So they're squarely in the mix, only three back in the lost column of the Indians. And then the Tigers have been a massive disappointment, nine under, and the White Sox were in rebuild mode at 11 under. So nothing to worry about there. And then. In the West, you've got the Astros who are blowing everybody's doors off. Best record in baseball at 16-29. This is one of those rare occurrences when all the hype about young players is actually coming to fruition. 
I mean, from Carlos Correa to Springer to Guriel to Marwin Gonzalez. I mean, Altuve has been their, their bellwether for a while. But, I mean, all those guys are having big years for the Astros. They're murdering the ball. They're getting good enough pitching. It's not great, but it's good enough. Keuchel's had a really good year. McCullers have a good year, but he's been hurt a couple of times. You know, they'll probably be in the market for a starting pitcher. Now, whether they're going to try to load up a package and go hard after Jacob deGrom, as some have uh, opined, maybe. And if you're the Mets, I think you'd at least have to hear about it. I mean, deGrom is not that young. He's 29, or he'll be 29 soon. Now, I, I don't. I would not want to see the Mets do that, but that's an emotional thing. You know, you need to be calculated about these things. If the Astros are going to give the Mets an enormous package, and two of the guys, let's say, are major league ready, you, you'd have to strongly consider it. And then the rest of that division, everybody's under five hundred. Angels, Rangers, both two games under five hundred. Mariners four under, and the A's are you know the A's. They'll be the biggest sellers probably at the trade deadline, as they always are. And at least we talked about Nationals running away with it seemingly at 52-36. and 36. Again, their bullpen is still a major issue. I mean, they beat the Mets in one of those games. <clears throat> Fat Albers gave up a home run, a pinch hit home run to Curtis Granderson. Uh, that tied the game, of course. And then the Mets, of course, blew the game in the bottom of the ninth. But, I mean, their bullpen still is terrible. But, you know, the next closest team in the division are the Braves at 42-45. and 45 who, again, we predicted would be much better this year than they were last year, and, and they are. They actually have a very good lineup. You look at the Braves lineup, NCR Day, Brandon Phillips. We've got Freddie Freeman back now. By the way, good on Freddie Freeman. All-star first baseman, got hurt. Braves traded for Matt Adams from the Cardinals because the Cardinals, for some reason, had no use for him anymore. Meanwhile, he's you know, good, pretty solid power hitter. Think Lucas Duda, but probably a little bit better. Uh, got him from the Cardinals for nothing. Instantly went to the Braves and hit like 10 home runs and, you know, not that many games. And so Freeman from afar said, listen, when I come back, I'll play third base. Guys, never, I don't think he's ever played third base in his life. He's certainly not at the major league level. That's a guy I want on my team. It's funny. The captain, David Wright, it's funny. I've never heard him ever say a word about moving positions ever. It's funny. Mr. Great Leader, who can't be bothered to run hard to first base. But yeah, that's what a true leader of a team does. So the Braves have a good line. I mean, Matt Kemp's having another good year. Nick Markakis is hitting. I mean, their lineup, like one through seven, is pretty good. But they just don't have much pitching. You know, they finally cut ties with Bartolo Colon, who ended up going to the Twins. The Mets had a, you know, Brief flirtation with him to bring him back, but couldn't guarantee him enough starts. Apparently, he wants to break Juan Marichal's record for most wins by a Dominican pitcher. Good on him. That's fine. No ill will there. Then you also have the Phillies, well, the Mets, sorry, the Marlins, who are a mess again, 41 and 46. You know, again, they've got some nice young position players, a couple decent pitchers, but they cannot seem to put it together. The Mets are a joke at 39 and 47, and the Phillies are the worst team in baseball, I believe, at 29 and 58. And, you know, they're 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 like their their brethren in the NBA, the Sixers. You know, trust the process. We're just gonna stink, I guess, for five years, 
and keep acquiring young talent uh, with nothing to show for it. And then in the Central, you've got the surprising Brewers leading the division at 50 and 41. Just saw them play against the Yankees this weekend. Some shaky defense, but they can hit, and they've, actually their pitching is surprised. The Cubs, boy, can they not get out of their own way. Every time you think the Cubs, sort of like the Blue Jays, are going to make a run and get back in this thing, uh, they, they stumble. They're 43-45, and 45, sort of limped into the All-Star break, 4-6 and six in the last 10 and losing their last two. But they're still only 5.5 out, 4 in the loss column. So you can't count them out. But again, as we've said all season, if Arietta and Lackey don't get it together, they have no shot. And those, both those guys have been terrible. And Kyle Hendricks, predictably, has stunk. I mean, I, I know he had a great year last year. You know, the guy throws the 86-mile-an-hour fastball. He's a righty. Please. Cardinals, again, surprisingly, only 43 and 45. Pirates, 42. I mean, it's just there's just a ton of mediocrity in the, in the National League. ton. I mean, look at the, the – in the East, you have one team over 500. In the Central, you have one team over 500. And then in the West is the power division. You've got the Dodgers at 61-29. Sorry, they have the best record in baseball, not the Astros. Dodgers, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, Seager. I mean, they, you know, they, they just mash the ball everywhere. I mean, they don't even miss Adrian Gonzalez. Uh Dodgers look like they've got the whole thing set up. Kenley Jansen's had a great year. They're closer. Diamondbacks, they've come back to the pack a little bit. They're 3-7 in their last 10, but they're still 17 games over at 53-36. and 36. And same, with the, same thing with the Rockies. They hit a little uh, bump in the road, but they're still 13 over at 52-39. and 39. So those would be your two wildcard teams if the season were to end today. And then you've got the Padres, who are a joke, at 38 and 50, and the Giants, who are even worse, at 34 and 56. So that's your baseball. All-star break. Woohoo! Home run derby. Yeah. Super exciting. I mean, seriously. The, the last time I think I cared – well, first of all, I never cared about the home run derby. But you know what? The, I mean, the home run derby is basically the – is Major League Baseball's answer to the NBA dunk contest. And you know the last time I cared about the NBA dunk contest? I think it was maybe 1989. I mean, listen, I get. I guess I'm not the demographic anymore for these sort of exhibitions. I understand that. But, boy, is it, it sounds like everyone has lost their minds when it comes to Aaron Judge. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> We're back here on the Amagansett edition of Jamal About Sports. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't know if you've noticed the lack of uh, blaring sirens in the background during the uh, during the broadcast. I mean, I don't know if you can hear the, the birds chirping there off in the distance, but it is uh, quite a nice departure from the studios in downtown Brooklyn. That, of course, was the Ramones with I Just Want to Have Something to Do. All right, we're back. 
we've got the NBA and specifically the Knicks, or the sad joke that is the Knicks. So while we were away, we had our own little break, by the way, our own little hiatus last year here, uh, last week here at Jamal about sports. Uh, as we moved, uh, we moved the studio from downtown Brooklyn to Amagansett. Um, finally, mercifully, James Dolan, uh, you know, JD and, and the straight shot, the worst owner in maybe the history of sports, uh, finally fired Phil Jackson. But of course he did it after the Knicks drafted, which makes absolutely no sense, completely idiotic. I mean, why you would keep a GM around, or I know he's technically not the GM, he was the president, but whatever, we all know what I mean. But why you would keep him around to select, and particularly when you're selecting the eighth pick in the draft, it's not like they didn't have a first-round pick or they're selecting at the back end of the draft. Uh, Why you would let him choose the eighth pick and then fire him like a day or two later is beyond idiotic. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. Except in only in Nick world does this make sense. In Nick land, it makes perfect sense because what happened, see, what had happened was uh, Phil was steadfast in his uh, desire to have Carmelo off the team. There's no trade market right now for Carmelo. He holds all the cards because of the idiotic no trade clause that Jackson gave him. And again, if Dolan made Jackson give him that no trade clause, Jackson should have walked out the door then and there. This smug, arrogant jerk that he is, by the way. Good riddance. But anyway. um, So, he made it very clear to Dolan he wanted Carmelo out. They had no recourse, really. The only thing they could probably really do is buy Carmelo out. And Dolan loves Carmelo for whatever reason. You know, he's the, Dolan's the reason Carmelo's here in the first place. And so, they had nothing to do. They had nowhere to go. And Dolan didn't want to buy Melo out and watch him go sign with the Cavaliers or the Rockets or the Clippers and go win a bunch of games there and finally embrace being probably just a six-man scorer type and not having to be the guy. He didn't want to have it. So that's why he fired Phil Jackson. He didn't do it for the Knicks fans. He didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. He did it because he finally... You know, he basically chose Carmelo over Phil. So the timing was completely idiotic, made no sense at all. So now you've got Steve Mills. This how this guy, how this cockroach who can't be killed. I mean, this is the same guy that decided hiring Isaiah Thomas was a good move. Same guy who was around to the Anuka Brown Sanders sexual uh, harassment case and was a major uh, defendant in that. Okay? This is the same guy. Somehow he's still around, and now he's running the team as the Knicks supposedly search for a new general manager. But in the meantime, as all this is going on, the Knicks decide, hey, let's sign Tim Hardaway Jr. back, who we drafted four years ago, or three years ago, whatever it was, to a ridiculous four million, four, sorry, four million, four years, $71 million offer sheet because he's a restricted free agent for the Hawks. Now, he had a nice little year for the Hawks this year. 
He had a very good second half of the season. He's still young. I think he's 25. He's 6'6". I mean, he's got some ability. He's not a hack. But still, the Hawks weren't even dreaming of giving him that much money, nor, nor was anybody else. So somehow Dolan allows an in, the, the president, without a GM, to dole out absurd amount of cash to a guy who you're basically betting on you know, him being much better than he's shown in his first three or four years in the NBA. Now, I don't mind that so much if I had a guy who knew what he's doing when it came to basketball and making that decision. Like a David Griffin, the GM of the Cavaliers, who was recently not re-signed to his contract. But then he was told he wasn't going to get full autonomy, so he bounced. And good for him, by the way. Smart. I mean, why would anybody, other than the fact that you're going to make a ton of dough, but seriously, why would you want to work for James Dolan? I mean, this he is the number one problem. The Knicks, 17 years. The last 17 years, their claim to fame is they won a first round of a playoff series against a not very good Celtics team. That's it. And yet, let's not change anything. Let's just keep doing the same nonsense that we do. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Singles. uh, Sort of seminal movie from the early 90s. Where there's a scene where Campbell Scott, he's at like a, you know, a, a, a grunge show. It's probably like Soundgarden or somebody's playing in the background. It's a movie takes place in Seattle. It's a Cameron Crowe movie. And he starts hitting on Kira Sedgwick. And his thing is, hey, you know, I, I don't really have an act. Um, I just wanted to say I think you're really pretty and you seem nice. And I just wanted to say hi and introduce myself. She says, you know, I think not having an act is your act. Well, that's the next. Not having a plan, I guess, is their plan. I mean, I, I, I've, what the hell is this organization doing? And again, it all starts and ends with Dolan. So why, as Knicks fans, would we ever have any optimism as long as this miscreant owns the team? As he sits there slouched in his courtside chair, looking like a bum off the street. I mean, this is perfect. They... they they, so they introduced, I don't know who did because there's nobody there, but they introduced Tim Hardaway Jr. to the media yesterday. Except Mills wasn't there. Dolan wasn't there. The GM wasn't there. Why? Oh, that's right, because they don't have a GM still. But yet they're doling out four-year, $71 million contracts. And they're drafting a point guard who's 18 years old from France who fits Phil Jackson's offense, but nobody else's. Well, I shouldn't say he doesn't fit anybody else's. We don't know yet, but he was drafted Specifically because they thought he would fit the, the blessed, sacred triangle. By the way, Frank Isola, Daily News, best line ever, Phil Jackson, the Zen capitalist. Boom. That's all you need to know. I mean, that guy is so full of it, Phil Jackson, it's unbelievable. Yeah, you're real Zen, Phil, huh? When you're stealing $60 million from Jim, James Dolan to do no work antagonize your best players in Carmelo Anthony and Chris Stapps Porzingis, make idiotic decisions like giving Joachim Noah, who's completely broken down a $70 million contract. He gave Courtney Lee, who's at best a seventh man on a good team, $50 million. I mean, what a joke. But be smug and condescending the whole time you're here, right, Phil? It's everyone else's fault. 
What an embarrassment. And again, I, I, I'm listen, I'm glad he's gone because I couldn't stand seeing his smug face anymore. But I'm not optimistic. I'm not really happy. I don't think the Knicks have any direction because they don't. Look at them. They're completely rudderless. They held a press conference to introduce a big free agent signing. Nobody was there. Mills unavailable for comment. Dolan always unavailable for comment. So now it looks like Mills somehow has ingratiated himself with the owner. He's going to win the power play, although he's not, he's not even playing against anybody. There's nobody really to play against. Dolan's let him chirp in his ear, whisper in his ear, let him do whatever he wants. And they'll, they'll go hire some guy who's like a low-level assistant personnel guy for some team who's just thrilled to get the title GM and the big bump in pay. That's what they'll do. And we'll just see more of the same nonsense. I mean, I wish I could be optimistic. I really wish I could. But this Hardaway deal makes no sense. They still have Mello, Courtney Lee, and Noah on the, on the books. You know, because that, that's, that's their new thing now. They're trying to push. They're going to be young and athletic and build around a core of Porzingis, Hernan Gomez, now Hardaway Jr., and uh, Nicolina. The, the point guard, the French point guard, who, you know, of course was hurt and couldn't even play in the summer league game. So couldn't even see if the guy's any good. I mean, please. I mean, the only positive in all this is at least Phil is gone, and now Hornacek can coach the team the way he wants. We can see if this guy's any good as a coach. That's it. But, I mean, it's, it's, I think Kurt Rambis is somehow still on this team. He's somehow still employed. Why? What a joke. Anyway, that'll do it for the Amagansett edition of Jamal About Sports. Remember to check out me on Twitter, at Jamal About Sport. No S. Check out Old Hoss Radburn on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook as well. Other than that, thanks for listening as always, and peace out.